After Captain Scott O'Grady of the United States Air Force was shot down over Bosnia in June of 1995 and subsequently rescued by U.S. Marines after six days behind enemy lines, one of the themes that emerged from that high drama saga was the theme of survival. Once he was on board the, the helicopter with the Marines, one of them asked him how he survived, and he said, I played like a rabbit. The commander of the NATO forces in southern Europe, Admiral Leighton Smith, said, we figured that if there was anybody who could survive this, it would be a young American flying an F-16, and we were right. He said that Captain O'Grady made it because he was very smart and very determined and very gutsy and also very lucky. And I have this vague memory of seeing a political cartoon in a, in a newspaper at some point afterwards, or maybe it's just of hearing my father talk about this political cartoon. And the cartoon was of President Clinton speaking to Captain O'Grady. And I can't remember the exact context, whether it was the election campaign of 1996 or some of the other uh, troubles that the president would go on to face. And, and I looked for the cartoon briefly online, but I wasn't able to find it. Maybe that was one that's never been scanned into the Internet. I don't know. But at any rate, this cartoon showed President Clinton speaking to Captain O'Grady, and he was saying, how was it that you survived? Everybody knew that Captain O'Grady survived, and at least in the mind of that cartoonist, President Clinton also needed a lesson in survival. And I would go further. I would say that we all need a lesson in survival. Namely, how do we maintain our faith and godliness in the midst of heartache and tragedy and desperate circumstances. All of us are going to be tried by some measure of heartache and some measure of tragedy. Some measure of these things are unavoidable in a fallen world. And so as we've been looking at the book of Job in recent months, we've seen that certainly Job had his share of tragedy and heartache and desperation. So how did he survive all that he went through and come through all of it with his faith Intact. What was his disposition as he suffered these things? Now, we saw one aspect of this last Sunday afternoon as we looked at chapter 13, verses 15 and 16, where Job said, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Job knew up front the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God, the trustworthiness of God. He knew these things ahead of time. And as such, he was willing to keep on trusting God, serving God, even though Worst should come to worst in regard to his earthly life. And as it stood at that time, worst had indeed almost come to worst for him. Right? He, could have, he could have died. His wife could have died as well. You can think of a, a few extra pieces to add to the puzzle. But for the most part, worst had come to worst for him. And tonight, as we look to a passage in chapter 19, we'll see more of how Job survived spiritually. Job survived because he was confident in his Redeemer and confident in the resurrection. So let's look to the text. We'll be tonight in Job 19, verses 25 through 27. Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. Job speaks, and he says, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that at the last he will take his stand on the earth, Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, 
and not another. My heart faints within me. Now, let's notice here Job's confidence in the Redeemer and his confidence in the resurrection. First of all, in regard to the Redeemer, he says, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and that at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Job says he's confident in the Redeemer, that he has a Redeemer. He's confident that his Redeemer lives and that at the last day his Redeemer would take his stand upon the earth. And so Job is confident that he has a Redeemer. He calls him my Redeemer. Now what does he mean? The word that is used here is a word that is used often in the Old Testament of the kinsman Redeemer. Now, this can be in the context of a a mere human, as in, say, the book of Ruth, where we have Boaz as one of the kinsman redeemers for Naomi's family as prescribed in the law. But this word redeemer is also used in context where it is clear that this is not a human redeemer. It's the Lord in view who is the redeemer. And so just to give a couple of examples, consider... Uh, Genesis 48, verses 15 and 16. And Jacob is speaking there and blessing Joseph and his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And he says, The God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me, or perhaps could be rendered the angel, the one who has redeemed me, the angel, the redeemer, one who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and may my name live on in them and the names of my father Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Jacob is speaking of being redeemed, speaking, therefore, of a redeemer, speaking of the angel who had redeemed him. He is speaking of the Lord, the second person of the blessed Holy Trinity, the Son of God. And consider also the words of Isaiah 59, 20, where we read, A Redeemer will come to Zion, and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord. And indeed, when we think about that concept of the kinsman redeemer in Old Testament Israelite culture, this was none other than a type of of Christ, the great redeemer, who became our kinsman in the Incarnation so that he could redeem us. And therefore, we're told in Hebrews 2.14 that therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Christ took on flesh and blood. He became true man so as to redeem us. And as true man, he is therefore our kinsman, our kinsman redeemer. And when we think about the words of Job 19.25, and we put any amount of thought into things at all, it should be perfectly clear that Job does not have a mere human redeemer in view, that he has a divine redeemer in view. Under his current circumstances, Job is not necessarily thinking that things are going to start getting better for him on the earth. His friends are saying, if you just repent, your life is going to get better. Job Job's not necessarily expecting that that chapter 42 is is going to happen where he gets 10 more children and his possessions are restored and he gets more than he had before and and all of that. Under his current circumstances, he's not expecting this. He's rather continually looking beyond the horizons of this world. He's wanting, as he says again and again, he's wanting to appear before God, to present his case before the Lord. 
And Job is confident that one day he's going to get his chance to stand before God. As verse 26 even indicates, he says, I shall see God. The Redeemer that he's talking about in verse 25 is none other than God, as he says in verse 26. So Job is confident that he has a Redeemer, that his Redeemer lives, and that at the last his Redeemer would take his stand upon the earth. Job is confident that he would be redeemed from all of his sins and his trouble, and that on the last day his Redeemer would come and that he would see him. Now, Job's knowledge of the coming Redeemer was dark and incomplete, but he did know that redemption was coming. Now, by his time, certainly the promise of Genesis 3.15 had been given and was, was operative, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And if, indeed, uh, Job lived between the period of the patriarchs and the time of Moses, and if he was in any way connected with the extended family of Abraham, as is certainly possible, he may have perhaps been familiar with the promises that were given to Abraham, even though he himself was not of the family of Israel. He may nevertheless have known of the promises that through Abraham's descendants would come this Redeemer. Job's knowledge of the Redeemer was certainly not as full-orbed even as the later Old Testament revelation. The Old Testament revelation was progressive and ultimately culminated in Christ. But nevertheless, Job had knowledge of the Redeemer and he had hope in him. We read earlier tonight that passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter talked about the, the prophets of the older times and he said of them that... They were uh, making careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So the point is, is that these Old Testament prophets didn't have, didn't have a complete knowledge of things. They didn't have the full picture, but they were, they were searching. They were making careful inquiries because the Holy Spirit was, was speaking within them and revealing uh, the truth of what was to come. As Matthew Poole helpfully pointed out, the sentiments expressed here in these verses, 19 verse 25 through 27, fit well with what Job says elsewhere in the book, as in particular those words uh, that we considered last week in chapter 13, 15. Poole writes, he says, Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. And Poole says, trust him for what? Surely for comfort and happiness. Where? Not in this life. For that, he supposes, is lost. Therefore, it must be in the next life. And so, uh, and so what, what Matthew Poole is suggesting there is that, that Job's hope, as expressed in chapter 13, verse 15, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him, indicates that, that Job is actually looking beyond the horizons of this life because he says, it's okay, if God ser slays me, I'm going to keep on serving him. And this ties in with, with what he says here, that he knows he has a redeemer, that his redeemer lives, and that he's going to stand one day before that redeemer. And thus, as we see in the text, Job is not only looking to the redeemer, he's also anticipating standing before that redeemer at the resurrection. So look at verses 26 and 27. He says, even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and not another. Now Job knows that 
He's going to die. He knows that his flesh is going to be destroyed. His flesh was already in the process of being destroyed, right? He had those, those horrible boils which he was scraping with the broken pot sherds. He knows that his skin, though, would eventually be completely destroyed in the grave, that his flesh would decay and decompose in the grave. Job knew how this went. When people died, he knew what would happen to him when he died. But still, he knew that he would see God in the flesh. Therefore, he was anticipating the resurrection of the body. He said that his eyes would see God and not another. And that word, another, is a word that is often translated as stranger in the Old Testament. And the idea, I think, seems to be that one who is not reconciled to God, in other words, one who is a stranger, will not see God in the same sense that Job would see him. Now, it's certainly true that all tribes of the earth will see Christ when he comes again, even those who pierced him, and they will mourn. certainly true that the just and the unjust will all rise at the last resurrection when Christ comes again. But what Job seems to have in mind here is not simply, not simply physical sight, but rather a certain closeness and fellowship with the Lord that he will have, that the stranger, that is the one who is estranged from the Lord, will not have. And we see that Job longs for that day. The final words of verse 27, he says, My heart faints within me. How he longed for that day. He knows that he's going to appear before his Redeemer that he's going to stand before him. He knows that he will be redeemed, that he'll be raised, that he'll see this Redeemer as his Redeemer stands before him at the last upon the earth. He knows that on that day he'll be vindicated from all of the false charges that his friends are continually laying out before him of him being a godless and wicked man. And this was, in part, how Job survived, by looking forward to the Redeemer and looking forward to to the resurrection. And similarly, like knowledge, faith, and hope should strengthen us to help us survive spiritually the trials that come upon us in this world. We, again, we heard about that from 1 Peter chapter 1 in that opening chapter that we read tonight, 1 Peter 1.13, where Peter says, uh, to prepare your minds for actions, be sober, Keep your, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says, set your hope completely on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Looking, looking beyond, not to things that are here. James Durham was helpful when he commented here on Job. He said, observe that it is one of the most notable consolations that there can be under the cross to consider that there is a day of judgment and that we shall see then our Redeemer, our Judge, and be absolved by Him. It was Job's consolation and should be ours. It serves much for believers' consolation, keeping fresh of their grace to be serious in their thoughts of their particular and personal appearance before Christ in that great day, and it will keep grace in vigor and bear down passion to be anticipating that we're going to stand before Christ on this, this great day of judgment. This will strengthen the grace in us. This will keep sinfulness, the anger, the anxiety, etc. This will keep it at bay if we fix our eyes on the Redeemer and the resurrection. And so, Christian friend, take comfort in the Redeemer and in your own future resurrection and appearing before Him. We're told in 
Titus 2, that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope, for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deed. Our Lord Jesus Christ is this great Redeemer of whom Job spoke. And our Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for us, and his purpose in that was to redeem us, to buy us back, as it were, for himself, so that we might be purified for him and be a people for his own possession. And in the darkest of times, therefore, we can remember that if we've been truly united to Christ by faith, then we're redeemed from every lawless deed. Every lawless deed that we've committed, we've been redeemed. Our sins have been dealt with. We are no longer separated from God. Whatever charges the world and the wicked may bring against us will not stand when the Redeemer comes to judge because we've been redeemed from every lawless deed. As we find in Romans 8, who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Peter would say that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that we were redeemed from that worthless way of life handed down to us by our forefathers, but with precious blood of a lamb, unblemished and spotless. So, brothers and sisters, we have a Redeemer. He lives, he died for us and rose again, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. This Redeemer is coming back. At the last, he'll take his stand upon the earth, and we will stand before him. We will be raised incorruptible. And for all of his people, this will be a glorious day. And this is why Paul spoke of it to Titus as the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is our blessed hope. Someone put it perhaps tritely, but nevertheless true. It's a blessed hope that causes us to cope. It was Dr. Tom Nettles who put it that way. So, uh, so anyways, the blessed hope should be our hope as we look for the coming of Christ and the resurrection. Whatever the world, the flesh, and the devil have thrown at us will be at an end at that point, and all will be well, and all will be at peace. We will be counted righteous for Jesus' sake, and we will begin to understand then God's purposes for the things which befell us here on earth. We'll begin to understand his profound wisdom in a way that we do not yet understand. God has his purposes in things Sometimes we see those purposes here on earth, many times we do not. But I think we'll start to understand then, and it will be wonderful. And so as we look forward to that day, we can say, thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we stand before him, we will taste that victory in a deeper and truer and sweeter way than we ever have done before. And so when the hard times come, whatever the hard times may look like for you, Remember what Paul says in Romans 8, 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. So when the troubles swirl and you seem likely to drown in them, be looking to the coming of this Redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ, that you will stand before him raised from the dead and glorified in him on that day. And when they ask you, how was it that you survived? may be that you can truthfully say that you survived because you were looking to the Redeemer, you were looking to the blessed hope of his coming. 
you had set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. May it be so with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the testimony of Job, that though he did not have the full picture of Christ and his coming and what all that would mean and what all that would look like, nevertheless, he knew that he had a Redeemer. He knew that he would be raised, that he would stand before God, that he would see God in his flesh. Lord, we thank you that we likewise share that hope in Christ. Lord, we pray that that hope would strengthen us in this troubled world as we go through various trials and struggles. Lord, we pray that, that you would buoy our hearts up as we seek to walk with you. We pray that we would be anticipating the grace that is to be brought to us on that glorious day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.